Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're on an exciting series right now talking about this whole issue of no. Can I hear you say no? We've been talking about saying no to the devil. You know, and we're living in such an uncertain time right now with everything going on around us that it's important that we got our heads screwed on straight and that we really look at what's taking place right now and have a right perspective and have a God perspective of what's going on. And so this whole series that we've been talking about saying no to certain things is really, I believe, more than just a good word. I believe it's a God word at an appropriate time. Come on, as Christians, we better understand the times and the seasons in which we live. And we better position ourselves properly and say no to the enemy and yes to God. And this whole series is about empowering ourselves and assuring ourselves that God is in control and the devil's not. I'll say that again. Come on, that we're assuring ourselves and having confidence that God is in control and the devil's not. And one of the scriptures that we've been looking at during this, during this particular series comes out of Ephesians. Now, Paul wrote often about the enemy, and he wanted us to know that there's a real enemy, and he's after your life, and he wants to destroy you. Even Jesus himself said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so here is Paul. He's writing the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.27, and he says this. He says, give no room to the devil. Give him no opportunity. Give him no foothold in your life. Lock the door, shut it, seal it, nail it, cock it. Whatever has to happen because the enemy is like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he might devour. Paul writes that. Peter writes that as well. And he says, do not be ignorant concerning the enemy's tactics. And I think oftentimes as Christians, we underestimate the devil and the way that he can affect our lives. And sometimes we kind of treat a series like this kind of as devil awareness week. Because somehow we just got to kind of just give a little bit of attention to what's going on here. And I'm not saying that we want to give him praise. But let's recognize that the devil wants to rob you. He wants to steal your life. He wants to kill you. He wants to take your joy. He wants to take your peace. He wants to affect your marriage. He wants to rob your finances. He wants to come in and affect your life in a very, very radical way. But I thank God that there's a God that's in control. And this one slide, if you go ahead and put it up, this is kind of the big idea of this series. If you get anything out of this series, get this thought. And that is that we're going to give no room for the enemy to occupy or find a place to have influence. And that's the whole theme about saying no, that there's going to be no possibility of gaining advantage, no open space. And that's the big idea. You know, guys, we can be victorious. We win. The Bible says this, and you got to get this because this is truth. This isn't just a wish. The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Bible tells me I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Amen. 
Come on, the Bible says that I have all authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means will harm me. That's the truth. That's the fact. Regardless of what you're facing, regardless of where you're at, regardless of what's going on in your marriage or your finances or your world or at school, wherever you're at, the reality is that we have authority and we have all the power over the enemy. And if we just stick to God's word and his truths, he can't have any influence in our life. And so we're shutting the door and we're saying no, and we're not allowing them into our lives. And so we've been talking over the last four weeks, Pastor Frank came in and obviously started this whole series talking about uh, different ways that we need to position ourselves in the area of saying no in a variety of ways. Pastor Jack and Pastor Walter came in and we talked about saying no to worry and saying no to fear. Well, this morning we're going to talk about saying no to doubt. And there isn't a person in this room, Mill Plain 217 podcast, wherever you're at, there's not one person that's not affected by this one area. In fact, the reality is that every single person in this room are bombarded with thousands of thoughts daily, some from God, some from the devil, some from your pizza. But the reality is, is that the enemy comes in and wants to derail faith. He wants to derail you from fulfilling the purposes of God. So he puts thoughts and seeds of doubt in your mind. And so if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to open up to Mark chapter 4. And I want to talk about Jesus in the and the disciples in a boat. And they're crossing a sea. And I want to read this story to you. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 39. And we'll also look at Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And it says this. As evening came... Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now, if you underline things in your Bible, this is a great sentence for you to underline. And it's kind of the springboard of everything we're going to talk about today. And that is, is that Jesus said to you and to the disciples, we're going to the other side of the lake. It's a promise, it's a proclamation, and we can trust that these guys were going to the other side despite what was going to happen on their journey there. And it says, so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And they begin to shout. They woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? But when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped. There was a great calm. And I love this chapter five, verse one. So they arrived at the other side of the lake. Here we see the story of Jesus And his disciples having this wonderful day of teaching and praying and singing about the word of God. And they would get into the boat and they would head off into the sunset. And they would learn an evening of life application. And we see here that the storm would come, a very horrific storm. And it would cause the disciples to take their eyes off the promises of God and put them on circumstances. Here they had Jesus, his presence. They had his promise. They knew that he was very peaceful in the situation, but they chose, regardless of what they were sensing, to focus on the storm and get pretty freaked out about it. 
And the interesting thing about this, this particular story, you got to get this. Before they even saw the storm come, Jesus promised them they were going to the other side. Jesus, in fact, knew that the storm was coming. Now, when you look at the Greek language, it kind of implies that the storm was demonic in nature because he rebukes the storm. The same language as he rebukes the storm is the same language that he uses to rebuke the demoniac in chapter 5. So regardless of whether Jesus created it or whether he allowed it, the fact of the matter is he knew it was coming. And more so that it was custom tailored for those guys. It was kind of like life 101. It was part of the plan. It was one of those things that Jesus began to put into their life to help fashion their faith and their dependence and their trust in God because he knew that they needed those foundation stones in their life if they were going to ever become what they were supposed to become. And so he knew that the storm was coming. I think what the disciples thought was coming was a sunset cruise. They thought they were kind of on the love boat, you know, and here are these guys, they just finished this beautiful teaching with Jesus and they're all clapping and feeling all warm, fuzzy and a beautiful sunset. And I, I can just see the disciples kind of waving to the other guys in the boat. Hi, I'm with Jesus. Love you guys. We're out sailing. I'm just with Jesus. And they're so excited to be in the boat. And I can just see Peter with his long, black, wavy hair, just kind of waving in the sun, you know, as the sun's blowing and he's all happy and got his hand in the water. And it's just like this, the love boat, happy and new. And so they're into this wonderful sunset experience. But the reality was, come on, the reality was they were about to face the most horrific storm or one of the most horrific storms found in scripture. What they thought they were getting was the love boat. What they got was the jungle cruise. Now, I don't know about you, but if there was ever a ride at Disneyland that freaked me out, it was the Jungle Cruise. Now, understand, now, my uncle was involved in Disney from a very, very young age, clear back to the 30s. And so he was involved in creating a lot of these rides. I had the wonderful privilege of going to his house and seeing all the rides before they happened. One of them was the Jungle Cruise, and he created it. And I saw the little map and all the little little trail of where you would go and where the little hippo would come out. And so intellectually, I understood the little roadmap. But when I got there, it was a complete different story. And I remember being five years old, and I have my dad on one side and my mom on the other, and I'm kind of all freaked out, and I don't know if it's because the Ritalin didn't kick in or they didn't give me enough NyQuil, but I mean, I began to get pretty freaked out about what was happening. Because I could hear this, and I could see this dark hole where this boat's going to go. And I'd go, Mom, she's saying, listen, it's pretend. You remember the little map? We're going to go all the way through, and you're going to come out, and it's all pretend. I'm going, okay. And so I sit down with my mom on one side and my dad on the other side, and all of a sudden, I mean, I lost it because the guy at the front of the boat had a gun. And I thought, I went, oh, mom, what's going on here? This guy's got a gun. She goes, it's, it's just pretend. And just as she says that, he goes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the jungle cruise. The point of no return. He, got, he guns, uh, guns it and goes right into that hole. And it's just this black hole. And man, I was done. I'll be real honest because preaching is about being vulnerable. I wet my pants. 
the rest of Disneyland was a wet day. I wet my pants because we went into the jungle and here are these hippos coming out. <laughs> alligators and natives and lions. And all of a sudden I got thrown back in, a, in this trance thinking about Wizard of Oz and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, and lions and tigers. Ah! And I was a wreck the rest of the day. You know what the reality was? The ride ended. I got out. Now through maybe weeks of counseling, but I made it. And I'm here today and I'm living an abundant and happy life. We laugh at that story and we might even look at the story of the disciples and we might think that they're a bunch of feeble-minded, weak-spirited people. Come on. You read this thing and you say, well, they had Jesus in the boat. They knew they were going to the other side. Come on, the jungle cruise would end. Man, what are these guys even whining about? But you know the reality is? There is a little fisherman in every single one of us. And this story has an amazing parallel between my life and my walk with Jesus, just as it does with disciples. The reality is that every single one of us have hopped into a boat. And we've pushed off from shore. If you're a believer and you have Christ in your life, Christ is in your boat. And you know what the reality is? You are guaranteed storms. You might be thinking that Christianity is a love boat experience. I mean, I don't want to pop your bubble and I'm here to preach faith. But you know what? You get beat up and you go to heaven. I mean, life is about challenges and trials. The Bible even says in 1 Peter, he says, think it not strange when fiery trials come upon you as if some strange thing is happening to you. I mean, they're going to happen. Life happens. Trials come. Disappointments come. People are going to fail you. Economies are going to collapse. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be hurricanes. Jesus says, people will hate you for my sake. That's Christianity. And you say, wow, Mark, I'm so encouraged today. Come on. But the reality is, is that we're going to the other side. And I want you to get this one thought. If you get anything this morning, get this thought. The greatest danger that we face is not the storms themselves, but how we respond to them. Storms will come. But our response to the storm has a great bearing in regards to your relationship with God, your relationship with others, whether you ever become who you're supposed to become in God or not, has everything to do with how you respond to things that are brought your way. There are people here that have tragedies in their life where loved ones have died or you have terminal diseases in your body or you've lost your job. I mean, I wish I had an answer for all that, but I do have one thing I know, and that is that God's in control and the devil's not. And that, you know what, my response is not to try to figure out what happened. My response is to figure out how I'm supposed to find glory in this thing and trust in God through this circumstance. Because reality is every trial you face is custom tailored for you to make you who you're supposed to become, whether you like it or not. Because sometimes you got to do what you don't want to do to become who you're supposed to become. And so we see that with the disciples. Well, let's talk a little bit about doubt this morning. Let's talk about actually what doubt is. Again, it's so invasive, it's so subtle, but it can be so crippling. And the definition of doubt is this. It's an uncertainty or an opinion that interferes with making a sound decision. 
See, you and I are faced daily with thousands of thoughts. Some of them might be insignificant, but you have a choice every time you're faced with a circumstance or a person or a situation to respond in faith or respond in fear. Hundreds of times a day. And the enemy knows that if he can go ahead and put a thought of doubt in your mind at the point of decision, he can cause you to not make right decisions, which ultimately affect who you are and who you become. And so there's this intersection that happens when God's will comes and the devil comes where we sit and we say, are we going to respond to faith? Or are we going to respond to fear in this situation? Am I going to doubt God's word or am I going to believe in God's word? Another definition says this, it says it's an inclination to not believe. Maybe there's something that's gone on in your life for a very long time where you just finally say, you know what? God doesn't care. God doesn't know. God's not interested. And so I choose no longer to believe. Doubt becomes real scary when it becomes unbelief. Jesus actually rebuked people because of their unbelief. The third definition is this. It's to lack confidence in something or someone. And when I look at those definitions, you'll be real honest. Those fit me. I think they fit you. I mean, if we're really, really honest and we look at our lives and we look at what's happening around us, we look at the economy and we look at the way that it's plummeting. You look at your IRAs if you have them or stocks. You look at the skyrocketing gas prices and food. And you begin to put all those pieces together and you begin to say, where, where's God in all this? Maybe your marriage is falling apart and you're saying, where's, where's God? How come he isn't helping? And you could go down the list over and over again of all these different things. And to be real honest, that's me and that's you. That's the disciples in the boat. It affects every single one of us. And so when we talk about doubt, we've got to recognize that every single person in this room is affected one way or another. And there's all different kinds of doubt, too. We've got to understand that you can doubt people, you know, a person. You can doubt your friend or a spouse or a boss or definitely the weatherman. I mean, but, you know, over a period of time, you're getting a negative result. And so you start to doubt their authority or their credibility. You might doubt an organization. It might be the government. It might be a church for that matter. It might be a business or the medical field or what have you. You can doubt a uh, something, man. You could doubt whether your car is going to get you to work or not. You know, it's a pile of junk or you can doubt that your computer is going to start. You're going to doubt that your lawnmower is going to work or you can doubt situations like the economy or the weather, whatever it case may be. And so Reality is that in those, there may be some legitimate reasons to doubt those things. It may be when we look at this whole list here, we say, you know what? I realize that organizations are going to make mistakes and people are going to let me down. And sometimes things aren't going to work. And yeah, the weather is bad. And I mean, we can go through that and we can come to that. But there's one area that we've got to be very, very careful that will really affect us. And that's doubting God. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is how we doubt God. And again, I understand in a room this size, we've got different people from all different walks of life at all different campuses here. Some of you maybe have walked in this morning and you really don't even have a relationship with God. You might even doubt that God exists and that's okay. You're on a journey, but that's a level. There might be people here that doubt, that believe that God exists, but maybe because of your circumstance, you doubt that God even cares. You're saying, you know, I've been in this mess for so long. Why isn't he showing up? And so you might believe that he exists, but you might think that he's a little uninterested in your life. 
You might believe that God exists and he cares, but maybe he doesn't have the ability to change your marriage situation, your finance situation, remove depression on your life, remove the pornography temptations, whatever it might be. You might say, you know, I just don't know if he has the ability because I've struggled with it for so long. And there's a different level where you believe God exists and you believe that he cares and that he has abilities. But then you say, you know what? I don't know if he's in complete control. I look at the hundreds of millions of people that are going out without meals today. I look at the tens of millions of people that have died of AIDS. I look at all the homeless people. I look at everything that's happening, the people dying in hurricanes and earthquakes. And you say, well, where's God in all that? I kind of doubt that maybe he's in control. But really where God wants to take every single one of us is this one last level, if you will. And that is, is that we believe that he exists and that he is, period. He just is. He's in control. He is. He not only has the ability to control things, but he's the creator of all things. The Bible says that all things were created by him and for him. The Bible even tells us that he determines the number of stars in the sky. Do you know that they have estimated that there are 50,000 billion, billion stars? And the Bible says he knows every one of them by name and places them in the skies. Now, that's a pretty big God. Now, I can't even hardly remember my four kids' names and my three grandkids, much as less 50,000 billion, billion stars. But sometimes we get to get out of our feeble-minded thinking and look to the word and say, this is who God is. This is what God is all about. And believe in this, not our own logic or our own emotions or our own circumstance, but believe the word of God. Can I hear an amen? amen? But, you know, when it comes to overcoming doubt, we've got to realize that, we, that, that it has an entry point in our life. And Doubt has a way of coming into our life and wreaking havoc before we even know it's present. And usually it's embedded its claws so much in our emotions or in our spirit or in our attitude to where finally when we realize, ah, I'm doubting God, it's real hard to get off you because the claws are sunk in. And I want to help you to, to understand how we can deal with that. And that is, and, and if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, is that doubt has to have a door. There's an entry point for doubt in your life. It might be a circumstance, an influence, or a belief that causes you to take your eyes off the promise and to put it on the circumstance. That happens all the time. You find out that you lost your job and immediately instead of saying, God, you will supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory, we look and we go, ah! And we, what am I going to do? And how am I going to feed my kids? And oh my gosh, the, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. And, oh my gosh. And if I don't eat, then I'm going to get real weak. And if I get weak, I won't be able to wake up. And if I don't wake up, I'm going to die. And oh my gosh, how am I going to plan my funeral? And these are the songs I'll sing at my funeral. And I mean, you take it so far down the road because you opened the door. And instead of saying no, you said, come on in. Now, maybe not consciously. I mean, we don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I think today I'm going to doubt God because I want to feel real bad and weak. And so I just want to be doubtful today. But it does have an entry point. And the Bible's filled. There's hundreds of examples of believers that open the door and let doubt in that cause them to have a great, great, have a great impact on their life. Storms of life is the number all-time reason why people let doubt into their life. 
Another one would be external pressures where you just can't get rid of the pressures that are coming your way. They never stop. You always are bombarded with the daily pressure. You know, I feel that way for single moms right now. You know, and I have a lot of them that are very, very dear friends. And I, man, I have empathy, sympathy, compassion for them because it's like the external pressures of being mom and dad all day long, every time, and budgeting and financer and sole provider and all those things. And you say, man, that can have effect on you if you're not careful. But how about this one? Um, unchanging circumstances. You know, to be real honest with you, it's probably one of the areas that the devil attacks me the most in doubt. See, um, my wife and I, we adopted a couple mentally delayed boys. And I've prayed since the day that they were born that God would heal them. Every night when I put Kyle to bed, I lay my hands on his head. And I say from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, God, I pray that you'd heal him. The circumstance hasn't changed. He still doesn't read. He still doesn't write. The other day we're driving down the road and he says to me, Dad, I drive. So, you know, and again... Here's logical, doubtful dad. I mean, the kids got faith. And I said, hey, buddy, um, man, I'd love for you to, to drive, but, you know, you got to have a license. In order to get a license, you got to be able to read and write. He goes, okay, teach me read and write. And so here's this kid with faith. And I'm going, well, I don't think that's going to happen, son. <laughs> just man of faith, man of God. I'm going to preach about it this weekend. And here's my son say, just teach me, dad. I, I read, I write, I drive. And I was convicted that my mentally delayed son had more faith than I had. It's an unchanging circumstance. But you know the reality is, and God, God convicted me, my responsibility is to ask and believe. His responsibility is to do the rest. So there's all these things that come our way, whether it's delayed prayers or grief that comes in our life. And so I want to make sure, again, as we're living in this season and the uncertainty of our economy and all the pressure points. And as we're in a season as a church moving this direction that we know how to say no to doubt and no to fear and no to worry. So this morning, just in the remaining time that we have, I want to just give you seven simple steps. These are real basic, but I believe if you write these down, you put them somewhere in the back of your Bible and you begin to practice them, you will live an abundant faith-filled life. Can I hear an amen? That's a promise because it's God's word. So let's start with number one. The first step in overcoming doubt, and it's this, is to put your hope in God. It's the foundation stone. You know, going back to our fishing friends in Mark 4, they woke up Jesus shouting, you don't care, we're going to drown. They took their eyes off him And they put it on the circumstance. And how quickly every single one of us do the same. And I want to say this. You may want to write this down. There is no storm too large that Jesus can't calm in your life. No matter what you're facing, you're saying, well, Mark, you don't understand how big and how bad it is. I don't, but God does. And we've got to look at this and say, you know what? I may not be able to answer the question why. I might not be able to figure out how to get out of it. I don't know when it's going to stop. But the one thing I know that I can do is put my hope in him. And let him figure out the rest. Zechariah, it says, the battle is the Lord's. 
And as soon as we cast our cares, what Jesus says, cast your cares on me. In other words, he says, get it out of your hands. You're not going to be able to figure it out. It's beyond you. Just give it to me. Thank you. Amen. That's awesome. Come on. Isaiah 41.10 says this. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. It's the kind of God we serve. That is a promise. We've got to put our hope in God. And sometimes we complicate it. You know, we've just got to get it to the lowest denominator and just say, you know what, I can't figure it out and I can't reason it, but what I'm going to do is just simply just hope. Make it a real childhood, simple thing. You know, one of the songs I used to sing to my girls when they were little before it became too corny for them to sing it, they may not even remember it, was a song, you know, that song that goes, um, he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Come on. Got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He goes, he's got a you and me brother in his hand. The guys aren't even singing. You guys are a bunch of geeks. He's got a you and me brother in his hands. He's got a you and me brother in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Come on, Mill Plain. He's got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the... I mean, we can keep going and singing. In his hands, he's got the little bitty baby. In his hands, he got the whole... See, you guys are smiling already. Because it's fun, it's true, it's reality. And sometimes, you know, you just need to take your checkbook when nothing's in it. And you just need to say, He's got my little bitty checkbook. In his hand, he got the little bitty checkbook. In his hands... He's got my failing, miserable marriage in his hands. He's got my whole world in his hands. Come on. I will take that as you clapping with me, not mocking me for my terrible singing. But it really is that simple. You're never going to be able to figure it all out. Just hoping him. Don't lose hope. Paul, when the boat was sinking, the only thing they didn't throw over the boat was hope. Everything else, everything else went out, all the supplies, but Paul didn't throw out hope because he knew if he lost hope, he lost everything. So here's the second thing we do now that we have hope. How many, how many have hope in God? Come on, that's half of you. Come on, Mill Plain, raise your hand. 217, how many got hope? Thank you very much. That's awesome, Poncho, that you raised your hand. The second thing is we need to trust in his promises. Trust in his promises. When we look at the disciples, Jesus had told them just moments before, we're going to the other side. In Mark chapter 5, it says that they went to the other side. I want to promise you that if Jesus gives you a promise or you find a promise in his word, that it's true. Even though you don't feel it, even though you don't have faith for it, even though you can't get your mind logically around it, it doesn't matter. The reality is that it is. 
His faith is true. His word is true. His promises are true. They will never, never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what Hebrews 13 says. And so listen, when you're going through a problem, you're going through a situation, instead of crying about it, find a scripture about it. There is nothing that you will ever go through in your life where there's not a promise here to help you through it. You say, well, you don't know my situation, Mark. Listen, spend some time looking in his word and find the promise and simply trust in it. Trust in his promises and begin to just hold on to them. The third thing that we want to do is that we want to proclaim his truth. So we put our hope in God and we found some promises and we begin to trust them. Well, the next thing that we need to do is actually begin to open our mouth with positive confession and with proclamation, not negative confession. When you look at the disciples, again, their critical error was, is that they begin to see the facts, but to be uh, overcome by the facts versus speaking truth to the facts. The storm was there. The storm was the reality. You have storms in your life. They are a reality. I'm not preaching any kind of name it and claim it where your body's sick. And I say, you're not sick. Just have faith. I'm not doing that kind of thing right now. If you're sick and you got boils on your body, you got a fever, let's just call it for what it is. The fact is that you're sick. But the truth is God can heal you. And instead of saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. No, you begin to speak truth into the facts. And you begin to say no to those thoughts that come in that are a lie of the enemy. And you begin to confess the facts in, or excuse me, confess your truth into your facts. And again, I mentioned this first service. One of my heroes is Pastor Leif Malman. He's our senior citizens pastor. He's been here for years. And I've known him and for years and years as his wife has struggled with polio for decades. I've never one time in all of the years of knowing that man heard him have one negative confession like, oh, it looks like God's not going to heal. He says, the fact is she's sick, but the truth is that God can heal. And we're standing on that promise and we're believing. Every single time I ever see that man, he does it. And I say, when I grow up, I want to be like Leif. I wish I had his hair too. He has hair. (laughs) But I want to be like Leif. I want to have that kind of thought. The... Fourth thing that we need to do is that we now begin to pray his promises. So our hopes in God, we find some scriptures that we can hold on to. So we've got truth in his promises. We begin to confess them with our mouth. And then this is a real cool part. We actually get God involved. We activate the supernatural by showing him we're depending on him to move. That's what prayer is all about is communing with God and talking to him and making your requests known to him. And it's why you read in, in, um, excuse me, in Philippians 4, 6, it says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. I mean, if you write something in your Bible, write that down. I mean, don't worry about anything. Don't doubt anything, but pray about everything. And what he's basically saying is everything that ever comes your way, submit it to God in prayer. Let God get involved in your situation. And so if you're here this morning and you're facing a real financial challenge, how many are facing a financial challenge this morning? Well, you write down Philippians 4 and you say, you know what? My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus' name. And you begin to grab a scripture and you pray it into your circumstance. 
You know, during hurricanes, the only things that don't get knocked over are tetherball poles. And I would encourage you to get some tetherball pole scriptures that you can hold on to when you're blowing sideways and just go, he will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. You may be blowing sideways, but you got something to hold on to. If you're depressed and discouraged, say, you know what? He will give me joy unspeakable, full of glory. In his presence is fullness of joy. Maybe you need peace and you're just being tormented. Colossians 3.15, come on. Let the peace of God rule my heart. And you begin to pray the promises of God and not listen to the tempest storms that are around you. Pray his promises. The fifth thing we're going to do is adjust our thinking. Adjust our thinking. I love what Jesus said to these guys, Mark 440. He, he looks at his disciples as they're sitting in the boat. He just finished calming the storm. I mean, it's just, it just goes. And he looks at him, he goes, why are you guys so afraid? It's like, duh, it's a big deal here. What's, what's with the dude? What's with the wimp factor, like 9.5? Uh, hello, I'm Jesus. I'm in the boat. And Jesus shows him, you know what? If you know who's in charge, you can sleep well through any storm. And here he is just kind of <laughs> sleeping. He's going, guys, what's up with this? When a wrong thought comes your way, you say no. Paul says this, you take every thought, anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, it says you take that thought captive. You don't waste the 10 calories to think about it, to give the enemy any room, unless you're on Weight Watchers and think about it a lot and you can lose a lot of points that way. But the reality is you got to say no and take that thought captive at its conception. And say no. And you've got to say yes to God thoughts. Like Philippians 4, 8. And you say whatever things are true and noble and just. Anything virtue or praiseworthy. He says meditate on those things. Paul says think about things that are going to build you up. Not tear you down. And I was just reading an interesting article. It was written by a lady. And the, the title of the article was The Eternal Optimist. She had three boys and she was writing about her middle boy in particular. His name was Billy. And Billy just seemed to have this uncanny ability to look at everything half full, not half empty. Everything that he did in life. And so she tells all the cute little stories about when he was little, he'd run into the bedroom at 5 a.m. and jump up in the bed and every single morning go, it's going to be a beautiful morning. The birds are singing and I'm happy. And she would just say, "Uh, Billy, would you please... uh, Shut up. We're trying to sleep. And he go, I'm not singing to you. I'm singing to me because it makes me happy. And so she's telling all these cute stories about how he took everything and he made it positive. He drew this one picture of a tiger in kindergarten and it had a crooked kind of deformed head and one eye closed. And the teacher goes, Billy, what's, what's up with the crooked one-eyed tiger here? And Billy says, well, he's just saying, coming back at you, kid. I mean, so everything was like turned around. I mean, it's just cute to read this article. And he got in an argument actually with his brother one day about this guy on TV that was bald. And he goes, he's not bald. He's only bald when he looks at you. 
He says, when he turns around, he has lots of hair because, you know, he had the ring. And so he goes, but when he turns around, he's got lots of hair. But only when he looks at you, he's bald like Papa. I mean, the kid turned this the whole thing around. But the whole point of the article brings it down to this one thought. Her 20-month-old son, Tanner, was diagnosed with a very rare blood disease on a Tuesday. And he dropped dead on a Sunday. He died. And right after the funeral... She's laying in bed with this little boy named Billy, the eternal optimist. They just lost their son, or he had lost his little brother. And Billy writes this quote, and I was so challenged by this. He says this. He says, Mom, I feel real sorry for us. But you know what? I almost feel like real more sorry for all those other people. He says, well, what do you you mean, Billy? Billy. And he says, well, the people who never knew Tanner. She says, or excuse me, he says, weren't we lucky to have Tanner with us for 20 months? He says, just think there's lots of people all over the earth that never were lucky enough to know him at all. He says, mom, we're really, really lucky people. I thought, you know, that's a great attitude. He couldn't change the fact that his little brother died. But what he had a choice on is how he was going to respond to it. And he chose to say, you know what? I'm going to adjust my thinking, even as a little boy, to say, you know what? I'm going to thank God for the 20 months that I had. He had a going to the other side kind of mentality. The next thing that we need to do is this, is we need to accept God's sovereignty. Now, this is a real tough one because sometimes life brings you a curveball and you look at everyone else around you and they're just living this wonderful life. And man, you can barely feed your kids and you're wondering why are they blessed and I'm not. And maybe it's your health and you can barely get around and you're saying, how can I even just live? Look at these people are this way and I'm that way. And we've got to come to the fact That God's in complete control. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows your steps before you take them. He knows all about your life. He knows what's best for you even more than you do. And it's more than just accepting his sovereignty, but it's saying, you know what? I choose to embrace it as God's will for my life. Romans 8 says this, and, and, and this really hits home to some of you right now. It says, all things... That means whatever you're going through, no matter how ugly your life, your marriage, your thought life, your finances, whatever it might be right now, it says all things. It means that includes that thing. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It may not be good in itself, but you can watch God use it for his good. And we've got to just accept the sovereignty. And then the last thing that we need to do as we close today is we need to never give up. Galatians 6, 9 says this, do not allow ourselves to get fatigued in doing good. And it goes on to say, at the right time, we will reap a harvest, a good crop, if we don't give up or quit. Can I encourage you that We're going to the other side. 
Jesus is in your boat and he's in complete control. The media, the world wants to tell you that you need to doubt that this thing's going down. But Jesus wants to let you know, I've got it all figured out. And the cool thing about it, just like me getting off the jungle cruise, life went on. I want to let you know that, you know, there are chapters in your life. You might be in the midst of a horrific one right now, but you know, there'll come a day, as I well know, to where that chapter will have a period on it and you get to start a new one. And everything that you went through in a previous chapter will be a building block to take you where God wants to take you. I've gone through some stuff in my life that were the best, worst years of my life. And I go through them all over again to get where I'm at today. Because without it, I wouldn't be who I am today without those trials. Now, that's not real happy. That's not the love boat. It's real difficult. That's the jungle cruise. But reality is, it's what God wanted in my life because he put greater dependence and faith in my life. So I want to close with a story today. And it's a story of a little boy named Tyler. Tyler was born with HIV. He was infected with HIV at birth. His mom was also affected with HIV. And throughout his whole journey as a little kid, he was dependent upon large doses of medicine to the point where at age five, they had to put a a catheter into his, into his chest in order to pump the medicine in. So end result was that he had to wear this little backpack everywhere he went that held all of his medicine that pumped into his system to keep him alive. But as time went on, he had a difficulty breathing. And uh, as he began to breathe, um, he found out that he needed an oxygen tank as well. So his mom tells these stories of seeing this little boy filled with life running around the yard with his friends with a backpack on and his little red wagon with his oxygen tank. And he's just like the other kids. He just had this abundant, faith-filled, joyful life as he's running around with his backpack and his little wagon with this little tank in it. His mom used to always tell him this, said, Tyler, and you're like the Incredibles. Man, you're always so fast and you're running around all the time. I need to dress you in red. Because I want to know that when you're out in the yard and you're running all around that I know where you're at because you move so fast I can hardly see you. So I'm going to dress you in red. And it's kind of their joke. They call them the Incredibles, you know. Single mom with this little boy, both of them HIV. Time would go on and both of them would come to the end of their lives and they both found out that they would probably die within the same month of each other. Pretty tragic thing. So the mom sits down and has this very difficult task of talking to Tyler about dying and going to heaven. And so she sits him down and she says, Tyler, I just want to let you know, buddy, that, you know, mom and you, we both have this disease and it turns out that looks like you're going to beat me to heaven, but there's streets of gold and you get to play a lot. And he's just smiling the whole time. He's not freaked out like I'm going to die. And she's all tearful, obviously, as a mom would be. And a couple of days later, he's in the hospital. A nurse is walking by. He goes, hey, psst. He calls the nurse over. Nurse sits down on the bed and says, Tyler, what what do you need, buddy? She goes, hey, guess what? He says, I just found out I'm going to die. And he says, and I'm not even scared about it. He says, in fact, I'm going to live every moment just being happy. He says, but you know, my mom, she's, she's pretty worried about me right now. And so I'm wondering if you'd do something for me so that so that she doesn't forget about it. Would you dress me in red when I die? 
Because when I get to heaven and I'm playing and running all around, I want my mommy to be able to find me when she gets there. I just think, man, God, give me that faith of Tyler. I mean, he's, he was facing a much more horrific situation than I've ever faced, at least in my life. And here's a kid that says, I'm not scared to die. You know why? Is because he knew he was going to the other side. His hope was in God. He trusted in the promises. And he knew, you know what? There's nothing in this life that will hold me back or put me down. I'm going to the other side. Jesus is in my boat.